0: This morning we'll be reading from the book of Mark, chapter 4, verses 30 to 34, and I'll be reading from the ESV. And it reads, And he said, With what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable will we, shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger and all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade with many such parables he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it he did not speak to them without a parable but privately to his own disciples he explained everything this is god's word you may be seated well if you're ready to study your bibles we're going to conclude our sort of mini-series on Jesus's parables about the kingdom of God. But this is also, like I was saying this morning, our last time together in the book of Mark until August. The next week, we begin an eight-week series in Proverbs called Fight for Joy, which I'm really excited about. And in preparation of the series, uh, actually beginning next week, we'll have a Proverbs Scripture journals that you can uh, take home with you, much like we did with the Book of Mark, and 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 I hope that these journals remind you not just to read your word and not just to pray over the word, but to journal through the word. And and I hope these things serve as a gift to you just for being here with us, and as a gift in your walk with Christ. But if I could just recall, uh, sort of pull from our memory over the last few weeks of spending time in Mark chapter four, where. I- Mark, the author of this gospel, has sort of strung together all the parables of Jesus concerning his kingdom. And and Mark is doing this essentially... To our study, as it was for the disciples of the Roman church gathered around uh, under the candlelight, under the catacomb church, under the city, uh, reading this letter. As Jesus says in chapter 4, verse 11, he speaks in parables as a sort of line in the sand uh, so that those who are in the kingdom would receive it and understand it and, and receive encouragement and instruction by it. But those who are outside the kingdom walls, these parables sort of act as uh, words of confusion or even condemnation. So it's important, strategic even for Mark to sort of sew these parables together for our understanding, our encouragement and our instruction. The thread begins with the parable of the four soils in which Mark explains that we as imitators of our father uh, generously sow the seeds of his word into all of the soils or hearts of the people we come in contact with. We're to be liberal, generous very uh, not not efficient with our sowing of seed we're to scatter it everywhere and we learn from the parable of the lamp that we so expectant that god will do what he does that as light reveals in a dark room so will the word of god we sow seeds expecting god to do And we trust because the parable of the seed tells us that the work of growing, the the work of maturity, the work of spiritual depth is God's work. It's not something that we can do. It's not a program that we can make. It's not how uh, we can read, uh, we can institutionalize anything that could form growing. All these are helpful, like watering and even uh, tilling soil, but they're not the work of growth. The work of growth is... It's a mystery unto God and God alone. And so we sow because the, soils te- the parable of the soils tells us to sow. We sow expectantly because the-, the parable of the lamp tells us that we can expect God to be God. And we sow knowing that the object of growth, the idea of growth, the uh, reality of growth is God's and God's alone. Even though God has participated or has invited us to participate in the work of kingdom growth, we are re- reminded that the requirement of our limited participation is entrusting God to do as he does for his glory and our good. Our participation isn't ownership of the kingdom. Our participation isn't ownership of the kingdom no more than a serviceman who services a building owns the building that's not true the building exists the establishment exists whether he or she services it or not and so God's kingdom will grow whether you or I do anything or involved at all but we're invited we're invited God and his grace and his loving kindness requires both our participation and our trust that his work is the important work. And last week we studied the parable of the growing seed. And one of the last point we concluded with was what we are to expect from growth. Firstly, that we can't expect a harvest if we're not sowing. And second, if we are sowing, we can expect a plentiful harvest. Right. A hundredfold harvest, even though not every seed will see its fruit. And that's where our portion of scripture, our parable this morning, we, we walk into this with. And so I've titled our time together, The Kingdom of God, as we conclude the way we began, focusing on the kingdom to which our citizenship belongs, the subject of Jesus's sermons, the consequences of his coming, the reality of his revelations. So would you pray for me as I pray for you as together we hear from God this morning? God, we ask you this morning again to sustain us and we come to you again with thanksgiving for your word lord may it do its work in our hearts and in our minds may it address our feelings and emotions may it address what we are to do with our hands and may it shape how we think and what we believe god for your glory and our good would you gift me with clarity of speech and thought as the communicator and gift the congregation with, a tentative, with attentiveness and grace for my errors. In Christ Jesus' name, amen. Living in Orlando for a good chunk of my life, I didn't even know that like the city's nickname, I didn't even know what it was until like a couple years ago. So Orlando's, Orlando's nickname is called the City Beautiful, which is a weird nickname, but. I get it, actually, uh, because Orlando is actually beautiful. And I never knew this. Like, I always thought, whatever. It's like you don't know until you leave. And so, like, we moved to Kansas City, and I was, like, looking around, like, wow, Orlando is really pretty. Um, and then moving to other parts, like being in Kissimmee or even being out here. Not that this, not that this isn't pretty, but Orlando is different. And and it's, it prides itself on its beauty, but that's not the only beautiful thing about Orlando or Orlando culture. The the, the beautiful thing is that Orlando has something for everyone, right? Orlando has many things for many people, from the eats to the theme parks, to family parks, to hiking trails, to corporate buildings and arenas. Uh, I mean, Orlando has something for every preference. And one of my favorite things to do in Orlando, I haven't been in some time, I mean, one COVID and then other, other things got in the way. But one of my favorite things to do happens every late spring, early summer. It's called Megacon. I don't know if any of you heard of this. It's basically a conference where a bunch of people like me, i.e. nerds, uh, we all go to this conference and we stare at each other. It's literally it. Nothing else happens. We just go and we look at each other. We go in a gigantic room and there's thousands of us and we just go, yeah, we're here, right? Honestly, what it is, it's an overpriced flea market catered to like nerddom right? There's art, there's people doing cosplay, there's people, I mean, there's just a lot of things that are centered around this culture of nerddom, and I enjoy it very much. My favorite things to do, though, I go there for two reasons and two reasons alone. Cosplay, I don't dress up, but I love looking at people dress up. People put a lot of effort (laughs) into these costumes. And then the art, there's a lot of artists who set up their own kiosks and different things that they're doing. And it's just beautiful to see people put their skills to work for what they love. So I, I love it. But, but if, we can, if we can be honest about what's going on there, if you've ever been to Megacon, then you know. If you don't, take my word for it. Um, if we can be honest about what's going on here, you even notice the language I'm using. This is a kingdom designed for a particular culture. This is a kingdom designed for a particular culture, but that's Orlando's thing, right? From pride culture to nightlife culture to sports culture to whatever kind of culture or subculture you want to exist in, Orlando is sort of a hub for that. Disney, Megacon, take your pick, right? I can't get no amen, but I can get a Disney. Good (laughs) Lord. We all have allegiances (laughs) and kingdoms of our own. But the question must be asked this morning. Which kingdom does your actual citizenship belong to? Which of your allegiances will reign supreme? And the answer might not be as easy as you think it is. I say this at the front because I'm confident that some of you would fit in, like myself, into multiple kingdoms and even be apologists for them. As you've heard me say, I love Megacon, but the truth is that you and I are citizens of an even greater kingdom than any of these earthly kingdoms here on earth. Far and away, greater. Verse 30 presents us with a great offering. Jesus says, What can we compare the kingdom of God to? Family, I ask you this morning, What is the kingdom of God to you? If I were to ask you, Tell me about the kingdom of your citizenship, tell me about it. How would you answer this question? What is the kingdom of God to you? Or even maybe there's a question you need to ask before that, which is does your life pledge its citizenship or does it do a better job of pledging its citizenship to every other kingdom in this world that would crumble in an instant? In contrast to the parable of the growing seed, which is only found in Mark's gospel, this parable is found in all three. It must have been something that Jesus taught and said regularly and often. But though I want us to embrace this parable and see its meaning for what it truly is this morning, we first must understand the very foundation of what Jesus has been talking about here. So I have two points for us to consider, or rather, two questions I want to ask and then hopefully answer. What is the kingdom of God? And how does it grow? What is the kingdom of God, and how does it grow? And our time with this collection of parables has sort of answered the second question, right? If you were here, particularly last week, you'd be like, I know, it's God. But this parable offers sort of another vantage point. It is God, but there's a layer to that that this parable uncovers as well. But let's look to the first question. What is the kingdom of God? You cannot read any of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, and walk away without an understanding that whatever the kingdom of God is, we're still not answering the question, but you cannot read the gospels. You cannot even be in church for a little bit and see that the kingdom of God, whatever it is, was central to Jesus's life message and purpose. It was John the Baptist's message, repent, believe the kingdom of God is at hand. It was not only central to Jesus' teachings and sermons, we see it clearly in the first words of Jesus in the gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, the kingdom of God is at hand. So even if you couldn't define what the kingdom is, there is no doubt that you have perceived its importance. But if it's so incredibly important, then we have to ask, what is it? And throughout scripture, it has taken on different illustrations to explain. Ezekiel, for example, depicts the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, right? Interchangeable titles as a tree. Ezekiel 17, 20 through uh, 22, verse 23 says, thus says the Lord God, I myself will take a sprig from the lofty top of the cedar and I will set it out. I will break off the topmost of its young twigs, a tender one, and I myself will plant it on a high and lofty mountain. On the mountain height of Israel I will plant it, that it may bear branches and produce fruit and become a noble cedar. And under it will dwell every kind of bird in the shade of its branches. Birds of every sort will nest. Do you see the parallel in what Jesus is saying and what Ezekiel is saying? This prophecy parallels Jesus' words in Mark and in so many ways through, through Ezekiel, God promises to his people that he will plant a shoot on a high mountain and it will spring up and produce branches and bear fruit and it will become this beautiful cedar tree that all the different kinds of birds that exist will find its shelter there. They will come and nest and they'll find safety and shelter and shade Essentially, this communicates the growth of the kingdom from a small thing to a big, beautiful thing. But the kingdom of God isn't a tree, right? Like actually isn't a tree. Or like our parable reads, a shrub, a bush. In fact, how can we know what the kingdom of God is here on this earth physically? John said it came with Christ. And yet Christ isn't here physically in his humanity right here, right now with us. So what is the kingdom of God? In his book, Seek First, How the Kingdom of God Changes Everything, Jeremy Treat gives us probably the most clear definition of what the kingdom of God is. And and I want to use it for our framework this morning. He says, the kingdom of God is God's reign through God's people over God's place. The kingdom of God is God's reign through God's people over God's place. Let's, let's uncover this a little bit. Mark has been working very hard in these four chapters to say what he will say in chapter 15 when Mark, for the first time, will explicitly call Jesus the king of the kingdom. He just spent 15 chapters unpacking for us. In other gospels, we see the prophecy of Jesus' kingship before he was even born. In other letters and writings, he is considered titled King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The kingdom of God is the reign of Jesus. And why is this important? Well, because Christ, our King, has come to redeem us from our sin. To make all that is wrong with this world right. Family, there have been many a king that has existed throughout time, and some were good and some were bad. Good kings did good things to their people, and bad kings did bad things to their people, but what Christ has come is is he's come to do what no other king could do, purchase the eternal redemption and security of his children. Oh, church, that's good news. That's good news. Your president can give you a stimulus. Your governor can remove your masks, but none of them can provide you with the spiritual liberation that you need that's only found in Christ. Your redemption has come with Christ's reign now. The kingdom of God is about the power of God in light of his self-giving love. The kingdom of God is Christ's kingly reign, as Mark says, as a servant. Mark ten forty-five. for even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. What king is this? What king is this that he would give his life, and even in him dying, give his life? He has not left the throne unoccupied. He died to kill dying experience death with the sole purpose of having death die itself and resurrected to prove that it was done christ did this work today and right now is back sitting reigning over his creation and sustaining it all with his power the reign of christ is like he says in chapter three it means that the strong man's house has been plundered that the strong man has been bound up and those who have been captive in his house he has entered plundered set them free. But to what end? Paul tells us in 2 Timothy 2, if we have died with him, we also live with him. If we endure, we also reign with him. To what end would Christ do any of that so that we would reign with him? What king, what king is this? What king does this? What king calls a people, a broken, jacked up, messed up, you know what you did this week. People to himself, redeems them, gives them citizenship to his kingdom and puts them in a position to reign with him in eternity. What king does that? God's reign through God's people. Christ's reign is a redemptive reign. He is reclaiming his creation and his children from the curse of sin and death so that he may reign through his people. This was God's intention at Genesis, was it not? Adam and Eve were sent into the garden as representatives. As stewards of God's things. But they chose to seek rebellion from God's kingdom. And thus fractured the relationship between God and man bringing sin into this World, but God would not let that stand. Have you heard me this morning? God would not let that true thing be the final word. God could have left you, you and me, to the devices of our sin, could have left you and me to the traumas of this world, could have left you and me on the hellbound highway. Instead, He said no. Instead, he saw that that was not good. His reign is a saving reign, he has saved you from death. For life. He has saved you from shame. For glory. He has saved you from slavery. For freedom. And he saved you from sin. For following him. And he saved you from the kingdom of darkness. For the kingdom of light. To be saved from your sin. Means you have been brought into citizenship. With the kingdom of God. Or the reign of God. To have him rule and reign. Over every aspect of of your life. In him, you have a new life. In him, you have a new identity. In him, you have a new total kingdom allegiance. Family, as I said before, to which of the many kingdoms that form this world do you give your allegiance to? To which of the many kingdoms of this world do you pledge your citizenship? To the places of darkness or God's place? In God's kingdom, there will be a day we reign with him as fellow kings and queens. And this is not like self-esteem, like I'm boosting your self-esteem. Some things we say like in my family is like, go on, king. You know what I'm saying? Slay, queen. Do your thing. We do it to sort of like big you up, to to like compliment you, to to get you to feel okay. This is not that. This is not that. One day we will sit with Christ. And by the grace that is his, enjoy what is his by right. But until then, we press against our own sinfulness, bringing our minds, our wills, our emotions to yield to Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. God's reign through God's people over God's place. God is making his good, his good creation, his good creation, a glorious kingdom. I find the imagery of a tree and a shrub to be consistent, given that this all started in a garden. What we see pictured before the fall is harmonious love shared between creator and creation. And it's everything our world does not have now. Everything our world does not have now. A kingdom of rejoicing in the presence of God, enjoying his good thing, flourishing under his reign. But Adam destroyed that with his sin. And now here in this world, on the other side of the garden, we have brokenness and pain, sorrow and loss, death and disease. But God did not quit, family. God did not quit. He is not done with the work. He began to make this world into a kingdom again. And it would take a curse-shattering effort of grace and love. And that is exactly what Jesus came to do. Later in the book, Jeremy Treat says the message of the kingdom of God is not an escape from earth to heaven. But God's reign coming from heaven to earth. The focus of God's reign is his people, but the scope of God's reign is his creation. What is the kingdom? What is the kingdom of God? It is his reign through his people over his place. This, is, this was the hope of Of the first century catacomb church reading Mark's gospel for the first time. They had a shared hope that God would come as a king to redeem his people and restore his creation. They will find through reading, as do we, that Jesus is all that he said he was. He fulfills every kingdom promise and inaugurates it in every way they could and could not imagine. Family, I ask you again, to which kingdom do you belong? Which kingdom has your supreme allegiance? Which kingdom are you a citizen of partaking in its agenda and mission? And that's what the parables are getting at. The sower seeds and soils is about the kingdom work for the citizens of the kingdom. God's reign through his people. The lamp under the basket is God's illuminating reign. The growing seed is still yet God's reign over his place. And now we ask the second question. Honestly, again, how does it grow? We know that it's a mysterious work of God, but how does that look? I mean, visually. Jesus answers us in verse 31. He says, it is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown in the ground is the smallest of seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. Jesus explains that the amazing growth of the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, something that's really, really small. One of the the smallest seeds in the world. There are seeds smaller than it, but from that speck of seed grows a shrub or a bush that can get up to 10 feet in height. The kingdom though, is massive and beautiful. It had humble beginnings the kingdom is oh, ex- just huge it had humble beginnings family who is king of this kingdom Christ does not that reflect him like Jesus was born in the hood he was born in the place you and I would not buy a house in he was born in the place that when we walk in we go how's the crime rate that's where he's from from the dirt Poor, started with nothing, had no rank to his name. Carpenters were not considered successful. And then even in this stage of his ministry, you would say, yeah, but I mean, he traveled around, he preached, he had followers. 70 followers at 30 years old is not successful. That's small, minute. You'd say, oh, but he had people from all over the world. Those were not his followers. Remember what we have been getting at. Those are people who heard tell about a guy who heals people. They weren't there for him. They were there for his prestige, his celebrity. But people who were actually there for him, small. And yet, and yet, his life and his death Even still, in that moment, would not catch the world's attention. No more than a seed spread over the soil. If I plant a seed in my backyard today, it changes none of y'all world. And that's what Jesus' death was in that moment for the world. Not spiritually, but in that moment, just another man died. And this we saw last week from that moment bloomed forth worldwide impact, not just worldwide impact over time, not just worldwide impact, cosmic restoration from just what the Jews would have described as another man dying, another heretic down. Another kid who came from nothing, dying with state-sanctioned murder. Cosmic restoration. That is the growth of the kingdom. That is the scale to which this parable teaches us that from nothing, cosmic restoration comes for all people who are his children forever. The kingdom of God cannot be stopped. It cannot be thwarted. That's the other thing. That's the other thing. The seed gets planted and when it grows, it cannot stop. Not by man and not by Satan. (laughs) To what extent? So that the birds from all over will come and make their home there and find safety, shelter, and shade. The kingdom of God is brought in by Christ. But it's brought in the way even no one expected. Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8. For while we were still re- weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one would scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps a good person would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ. Died for us. See, Jesus is bringing in a cross shaped kingdom to this place where we now, by his continued grace, get to experience the kingdom whenever and wherever God's redemptive reign overcomes our sinful resistance. Do you hear me this morning? From every struggle, To patterns of sin, there is room at the cross for forgiveness, repentance, and healing in this kingdom. The evidence of this kingdom in your life is your continued transformation in every area of your life. Which kingdom do you belong to? God's. God's. you are a citizen of God's kingdom and he uses you in this mysterious and beautiful way to grow it. Praise God.